The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. What is up, everybody? Welcome to a very long overdue episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, as always. And uh, it's good to be back, EJ. We took a little bit of a break after what I thought was actually a pretty entertaining Super Bowl. You were recovering from a little medical procedure, so you're now back off the IR and good to go. And we get to dive into draft season. This is our, our third draft season doing together. We're starting off with the 10 Gems episodes as per usual. And uh, I'm excited. But how are you doing? How are you feeling? And uh, what are you drinking tonight? I'm good. I'm glad to be back. Uh, it was nice to take a break. It was a long season. Super Bowl was a ton of fun. Um, you know, being in Vegas for the Shrine Bowl and covering the Senior Bowl, all good stuff. Uh, but it was nice to take a bit of a breather. Nice to be back in the saddle, though, because it is draft season. You get kind of, I don't know about you, you get kind of itchy. You yeah. start posting draft stuff on Twitter, and you're like, I got work to do, man. I got work to do. <laughs> um, so it's good. It's good to be back. But uh, as it is draft season, I am drinking uh, seltzer. I do not happen to be drinking LaCroix. I am drinking bubbly. Oh, I, uh, I, got, I got mine. I got my, yeah. my hydration. Yeah. No, I'm drinking bubbly because uh, uh, one cannot stay awake till midnight or 1 a.m. watching tape drinking beer. It's like not Ooh. it's not possible. Um, did I tell you I tried doing that with the wee heavies the other night and it did not <laughs> go well? Yeah, it goes well. See, the funny thing is when you start, it's going well and you're like, this is great. I don't know why I don't do this more often. And then when you're like drooling on your keyboard at like 11 o'clock because you can't concentrate anymore, you're like, oh, this is why I don't do that. So, no, keeping it clean for draft season, but um, looking forward to it. We got some news and notes, and then we can get into what is, yeah, like you said, now a three-year tradition, which seems so strange. Um, But, yeah, one of the very first things we did when we launched the channel. So this is our third installment. And uh, before we get into 10 Gems, by the way, we do have a little bit of news and notes to cover because we've been off for two weeks. Number one, and probably... The most important news. Uh, I do want to thank Taylor, Sigmund, Alex, Jacob, and Waylon, who all joined the Patreon during our, our little two-week break and you know decided to hop on board and support at the start of draft season. We are eternally grateful for all of your guys. And uh, also remember, you do get merch discounts now as a member of the Patreon. And uh, also, one more thing, we recently put up the first of many interviews that are going up on the bootleg clips channel for all of you to enjoy and pretty soon here after the thomas booker interview 
all the patrons are going to get early access to these interviews as well because we want to get the Thomas Booker one up just because it was so amazing. And then after that, uh, all the patrons are going to get like a, a 48 hours early access to all the interviews on the Clips channel before they go up so you can see them before anybody else. And they are meaty <laughs> to say the least uh we really really enjoy it. i think we did what like four hours of interviews every day for like four straight days it was insane so a lot of content going up over on the clips channel check that out and um other than that not not really a whole lot has happened in the nfl weirdly in the little two-week period after the super bowl we've, we've kind of jumped into you know, Aaron Rodgers mania for, that lasted for like two days and then it, it, it was something and then it wasn't something and Russ wants out of Seattle and then he doesn't want out of Seattle. So there's not really a whole lot to talk about that's concrete, but with Combine coming up, let's see, this is going out Monday. So I think this is Combine week when this goes up. I'm sure we're going to get a shitload of news because we always get news uh, in Combine week because that's when everybody gets together and stuff starts leaking. So uh, I'm sure in the next episode, we're going to have a very meaty news and notes section. But uh, when we start things off, EJ, for people that have not been here the entire time, the entire run of, of BFP, uh, why don't you tell them what is a gem in our terms for our 10 gem specials? Yeah, so a gem is um, not necessarily the best, right? This is this is not the top 10 players in the draft, and and we don't mean to make it that. Uh, not the flashiest or the most popular. These are players up and down the board who have a great skill or skill set, have some untapped potential we think is really going to shine when they get to turn pro and focus on their craft, or that we just like watching. One of those prospects that every draft evaluator has that you get a couple minutes into their tape and you're just giggling and shouting out loud. My dogs come in all upset, like, what's going on? You're shouting. Uh, it's good tape so those are our gems and we do 10 on defense uh five for brett five for me we do 10 on offense in another show and again uh we we've had some hits in gems and we've had some guys that have had slow starts too so it's just like the regular draft but uh these are just guys we really like watching and want to bring um a little bit more familiarity to you the bootleg viewers uh early in the process because we think it's worth it and some of these guys are going to go first round. Some of them might go super duper duper late. We'll see because there's some small school guys in here. But either way, they're just they're guys we enjoy. So I'll start off with my number one. We each get five. Uh, Kobe Bryant, the other corner from Cincinnati. A lot of people talk about Sauce, you know, potentially being the number one corner in this class. But I can't remember who was it we were talking to. We were talking to a player at Shrine Bowl who played against Cincinnati and we asked him, uh, you know, about going against sauce. And he said, other kids better. <laughs> and I was like, Kobe Bryant. He's like, yeah, cause they played field and boundary. And so Kobe Bryant had to do a lot more stuff. He had to play press. He had to play off. He had to play zone. Whereas sauce, you know, as the boundary side corner, it's basically just like, I'm in man, <laughs> you know, 75% of the time. Whereas like Kobe had to, had to just be a little bit more versatile of a player. And I kind of agreed with his assessment, which who am I to disagree with somebody who played against both of them. But when you look at how the Cincinnati defense was structured, you know, again, usually when an offense is on the hash, which most plays in football take place on a hash, and most, or I would say the most popular distribution of offense is a three by one in the spread. And so Kobe is playing on the trip side most of the time 
as an off corner to the field side where it's, I don't want to say it's harder, but it's a completely different sport when you're playing that position versus playing the boundary position that Sauce Gardner plays, where it's, again, it's like one-on-one on the backside. Because you have to be aware of all three guys, because most of the time you're going to be playing match zone concepts to that side. So depending on what the call is, your responsibility can be five different things based on how the rules of your call match up to the route distribution that you see, not to mention run assignments too. And so it's it's harder in the sense that it's a little bit more cerebral of a position because you can't mess up. Or because if you bust, like there's mm-hmm. there's gonna be a dude 30 yards down the field. And it's again, it's a different kind of challenge than what Sauce Gardner had to go through. But when you look at modern NFL defenses, you know, for every Jalen Ramsey, there's also gonna be a guy on the other side who doesn't give up hundred yards as the field side corner getting picked on, you know, by vertical stretches all day long. And that's Kobe Bryant. He's got good hips, he's got good size, he's got good intelligence, like just because there was another guy on the other side of the field, he almost had to deal with more action than you're used to at corner because people avoid sauce. And he held up really, really well. So I actually, like that that interview that we did, which, God, I wish I could remember what receiver it was. It might have been Josh Johnson or the Tulsa. No, not the Tulsa kid. I can't remember who it was. But, like, that interview was what made me kind of realize, like, it's it's a different level of difficulty playing that position and if you can do it really well and not get picked on over and over and over again, you're probably going to be really valuable in the league. Yeah, I think it was Rambo, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, yeah, I think you're right, because Miami Miami played them, right? Uh, it could have been Miami, could have been OU. I can't remember. But yeah. It was it so, was somebody really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he was he was very clear that, that he thought, you know, Kobe was the guy that gave him more challenge, more trouble. Now, to be fair... We are not bad mouthing Sauce Gardner. No, Sauce. This this is a Sauce Gardner stand podcast officially starting right now. The guy gave up nothing in his college career, like nothing. He just didn't give up anything to anybody. He is a very good corner, but just because he is very good, elite in the conversation for corner number one in this draft, doesn't mean the guy on the other side can't play. And we see it every year that schools have pairs of corners that come out. And a lot of times they're both really skilled. Washington is another school this year that both the corners are going to get drafted. Both the corners are going to get drafted pretty highly. If they're still on the board by the time the third round's over, I would be surprised. So Kobe Bryant's got a great skill set, um, a skill set that's in demand in the NFL. And I think he's going to get overlooked just because of who plays on the other side. But more and more people are starting to come around to this. I think he's going to test pretty well. I don't think he's going to blow testing away, but he's not going to be slow either. I think he's going to test well enough. And the way most teams in the NFL approach testing is they have a threshold. And for an outside corner, if you run above a, whatever their number is, four, five, six, it's fine. Like it's a, it's a yes, no proposition. And I think he's going to hit those thresholds for jumps, for uh, agility, explosion. He's going to hit that. And then really people are just going to go back and say, wow, he had a lot of different responsibilities, played them really well. Cincinnati had a really good schedule. They played a lot of tough competition. 
Um, so that's not really going to be a knock against Cincinnati, whereas it might have been five or ten years ago. Oh, strength of schedule. No, Cincinnati, you know, is in the finals. So uh, Kobe's going to get a lot of attention, um, not near as much as he would if his running mate wasn't Sauce Gardner. But um, don't sleep on him. I've told multiple people, like, look at the other corner. Uh, he's worth it. He's going to get drafted fairly highly. This week's episode is brought to you by Bespoke Post and their boxes of awesome. No matter what you're into, whether it's camping gear essentials to specialty cocktail making supplies to cool stuff for all of us coffee snobs out there, Bespoke Post has a box for whatever interests you have every single month. To get started, you just take the quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them find all the right boxes that match whatever you'd like and they release new boxes every single month across a ton of different categories, so there's always something new to check out. It's free to sign up, you can skip any months that don't interest you, and you can cancel at any time with no hassle as well. Each box only costs 45 bucks, but it also has over $70 worth of gear inside, 90% of which comes from small businesses and brands that partner with Bespoke Post to put these boxes together, so it's nice to support them in that way as well. You can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter promo code bootleg at checkout. Again, that is boxofawesome.com, promo code bootleg for 20% off your first box. And with that, back to the show. I just looked it up and it actually was Josh Johnson from Tulsa. They played against Cincy and they also played against Ohio State. He did better against Ohio State than he did against Cincy. Yeah. Cincy's corners were ridiculous, but... Yeah, it's, I mean, Cincinnati's defense in general was loaded. They're going to have at least three guys taken in the top 50 picks. I think that's that's pretty well established by now, depending on how how much you like the edge kid, but which I know you're a fan of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Cincinnati's defense was crazy. Who is, uh, who's your number one? So my number one is a guy that's also from a loaded defense, Trayvon Walker, the defensive end mm-hmm. from Georgia. Um, if you've watched any Georgian, you probably have as national champs. They played in a lot of games, a lot of big nationally televised games. Um, it's kind of hard to pick out guys on Georgia's defense because the entire defense is obscene. Uh, it's all really, really talented. It's five star after five star, uh, with five stars as backups. Um, (laughs) they are incredibly loaded on defense, uh, easily nine guys are going to get drafted probably more like 11 um and one of the best guys on their defense isn't even going to get drafted because he's not eligible yet so back to Trayvon he's a guy that makes a lot of plays he is a huge squarely built athlete big dude 6'5 290 and he moves much more quickly and fluidly than a guy that size should plain and simple He is a ridiculous athlete on a defense full of ridiculous athletes. Massive power in his hands. There's a great replay. We'll try and put the clip in the CFP game versus Michigan, where he comes up and absolutely just stabs the offensive tackle and buckles him. Just dynamite for hands. Um, But that's not it. There's he's going to. A lot of people aren't talking about him. They're talking about all the other Georgia defenders. After the combine, that's going to change. Yeah, People are going to be talking about Trayvon Walker in the top 15. And I know that sounds crazy. It is not crazy. The way he tests at his size, when they go back to the tape, they're going to say, this is a guy that can absolutely smash in the NFL because we can put him anywhere from 
Well, in the Georgia defense, he played anywhere from a one technique just off the center all the way out to about a seven, which is a wide edge. So the fact that he can run and move the way he does is going to make him incredibly valuable. The fact, the fact that you can slide him inside and he can jolt offensive linemen back onto their heels and then win with speed to the quarterback after that, this is a skill set that is hugely in demand. And when his testing numbers show up, a lot of people who are kind of casually into the draft and have been saying lots of other Georgia names are going to be like, well, Trayvon Walker, kid. Um, there's a play uh, in Florida versus Florida where he drops back into coverage. Now, again, 6'5", 290. Normally those guys look, they do get dropped occasionally, but they look really, really stiff. He drops back into what we'd consider the middle hole, the place the Mike linebacker or the MLB would be hanging out. Florida quarterback tries to throw a crosser behind him. He jumps up like a volleyball hitter, double hands the thing, it gets deflected and intercepted. Guys his size don't do that. So you can do all the way back to medium pass coverage so he could absolutely smother a tight end if you really wanted him to. Uh, there's a play uh, versus Auburn. He's assigned as a one-tech. One-tech is dead in the middle of the defense, just shaded one side I, off I think the that center. was the game he played at 287 because from what I heard, and believe it or not, that's why, we, that's why you're bringing up the 290. The lightest he played at, again, according to what I heard, was 272 lightest. this yeah. season. So he he went from anywhere between 272 to 287 throughout the year. And I know the one tech game because I remember that's the one game that I watched. And I know that he was playing heavy in that game because they wanted to use him down there. Yeah. So he's lined up in a one tech. He's shaded off to what is his right side of the center, the center's left side. He runs all the way around. He goes cross face on the center, goes all the way around the right tackle and gets a sack at 6'5", 290. So he goes cross face on the center, runs all the way around the end of the line, comes in for the sack. And the whole thing takes like two and a half seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it is not a long developing play. Um, he wins multiple ways. He's got the power inside we've talked about. He's got the speed outside. He's very quick with his hands. He can straight bull rush. There's a there's a shot in Missouri where he takes, I think it's the center, and walks him directly back and like just shuffs him right before he blasts the quarterback. And he does it like at a trot. This isn't yeah. like a tug of war, tractor pull, push kind of thing. Like he gets the guys on his heels, drives him for about a second and a half, tosses him and just nails the quarterback. Quarterback's like, what? It's a 300-pound guy he just tossed in my lap. So his toolbox is overflowing. He's going to be an insane pro. Uh, he's I'd love to say he's scheme agnostic. It really doesn't matter where he lands. There are definitely schemes where he's going to be better, just like anybody. If he lands in one of those situations, look out. Like, if he ends up playing for, like, San Francisco, yeah. like, kiss it goodbye. He's going to be all world very quickly because they just don't build him like him well i'm curious to see what he weighs at the combine because again he his body type is so flexible where he could literally fluctuate 15 pounds within three weeks depending on what they want him to be so if you're playing an even front and you want him to play at 275 as a base end sure he can do that if you're playing an odd front and you want him to be at 
again, 287 to push 290 uh, and be like a 4i, you can do that too. It, it just really depends on what you want them for. So I almost do consider him scheme agnostic because it really just depends on what diet plan you want him on. <laughs> and he'll fit. And honestly, he's just, his body is ridiculous. He is extremely ripped. He can carry any amount of weight as far as I'm concerned. He looks svelte in the 280s, Yeah. right? He carries his muscle mass very, very well. has really long arms. He's got so much power that I actually don't even care what he weighs. You could put that guy inside at 275, and he's still going to be jolting NFL guards who weigh 330 because his arms are so long and his shoulders are so strong. He can just do anything. And it's going to be extremely fun to watch him in the NFL because he is wildly gifted. It's not that dissimilar to J.J. Watt now that I think about it because J.J. came in at 295. But once they started playing more even front later in his time in Houston, he was down to 280, you know, where they played him more as like a true edge. So it's like, yeah, it just depends on the system. You can do whatever you want. Uh, my number two, Leo Chanel, linebacker from Wisconsin, speaking of gigantic human beings. <laughs> six two two sixty as an inside linebacker, which is not normal these days. Mm-mm. But what's also not normal is his movement skills at 260. A lot of people compare him to Dante Hightower. I don't quite see that because he moves better than Dante ever did which sounds sacrilegious because Hightower is one of the best linebackers generation, but like it's, he is a different level of athlete. When he was a freshman at Wisconsin, he was repping 40 on the bench at 225. Freaking nature, 260, but not fat. He's just yoked. Like he, he's basically Logan Wilson. If Logan Wilson from the time he was born ate nothing but Wheaties and HGH, like that is, <laughs> that is what he is. He's gigantic. He can rush the passer. Jim Leonard, you know, some of his sacks, you want to consider them schemed up. But the reason why he rushed so much is because Jim, Jim Leonard was like, he keeps getting sacks. I'm just going to keep rushing him. And it kept working. Like Wisconsin's defense was super blitz heavy because they had a guy like Leo in the middle. And I think, coverage he doesn't necessarily fit the mold of like nicobe dean devin lloyd those kind of guys where it's like yeah you put him on a running back one-on-one you put him on a tight end one-on-one they're gonna hold up he's not necessarily that guy not to say he's not functional as like a spot dropper but the in terms of how you use him in the pass game if you're using him just to cover people you're not doing it right anyway you want him mugged up on the line of scrimmage, being a threat to rush the passer, a la Dante Hightower, a la Anthony Barr, because he changes the equation in pass protection. You can't leave a running back on him because he's going to dumpster whatever 215-pound running back you leave on him. And 215 is actually somewhat big (laughs) for third-down running backs these days. Like, he will just run through them, which he did over and over again at Wisconsin. So you have to pick him up with a a center. You have to pick him up with a guard. And so if you're rushing five and you can't allocate a running back in a six-man pass protection scheme to that linebacker and you have to pick him up up with the center, all of a sudden you're leaving one of these guards and tackle combos either to the left or the right, one-on-one, against whatever games the DTs and edges are playing. 
So it leaves you extraordinarily vulnerable to all sorts of pressure schemes. And that's not even counting for the fact that he can just take one step, bluff, and then drop back as a low-hole dropper and pick up whatever like the third crosser is, because he can do that at least. And yet, you still have to allocate the center. You're still not able to pick up those stunts. So he's a force multiplier for the pass rush. He's not a force multiplier for coverage, like, say, um, Nephi Sewell is, you know. But I think if he goes to the right defense that knows how to use that force multiplying ability as a pass rusher, not to mention the fact that he's really good against the run, too, he can be just like Dante Hightower, but maybe even better. And that is utterly terrifying because Dante Hightower was amazing. Yeah, he's a beast. Played three games at fullback, and then they were like, hmm, we got a better use for you. <laughs> yeah, you're a <laughs> we, linebacker now. Yeah, we, we have something that's more efficient. Uh, you're you're going to make more plays. Um, yeah, his, his build is really crazy. His arms sort of start thick at the wrist and just get thicker all the way up. <laughs> it's like, like Popeye. He, yeah, he's got <laughs> solid forearms. He's got big biceps, and his shoulders are even bigger than his biceps. It's just like a a triangle going up his side um yeah you know everything you would think a 260 plus pound pass rushing linebacker out of the big 10 looks like you know that's leo chanel um so yeah interesting it i he's a little less scheme agnostic to me because his limitations in the passing game uh but as a rusher, especially as a situational rusher, you talked about third down rushes, like he can be on the field right away and he's got a special teams mentality. So he'll be playing there as well. It's not like you're sort of couching a roster spot and only getting third down pass rush out of him. Um, yeah, he'll be useful. It'll be interesting to see how people think they can expand his game to play him even more. You know where I think he's going to go considering his flexibility as a fullback. And I use the term flexibility loosely baltimore huh i could see them using it. well it's funny because wink's gone right so it'll be yeah but they brought in mike mcdonald no oh, okay. who was their linebackers coach yeah. under wink anyway and then he Sorry. went to michigan and had a great defense i, f- but I forget that the ravens are are all about succession planning i know but like that's the thing is like they it's the same even though wink's gone it's the same system right yeah they're not changing and mcdonald saw him up close like and probably was like oh shit that dude could play you know like i i would not be shocked at all to see him in baltimore because he's such a perfect fit yeah but speaking of linebackers who do you got for number two well speaking of nephi sewell his running mate uh devin lloyd the inside linebacker from utah who is kind of all world everything so this is not a guy from down the board this is probably the first inside linebacker off the board um, depending on who you're paying attention to. There's there's a couple of other contenders for that, but for my money, uh, that guy's going to be Devin Lloyd because he is a player that gives you everything at the ILB spot. It is not about the, the letters after his name. Um, he's got great football intelligence. He's really smart, understands the whole defense because he plays all over it. He occasionally lines up guys in the slot. He plays Mike for them all the time. He plays what you would consider a will, and he lines up as an edge rusher, a straight-up stand-up edge rusher right on the line of scrimmage. Um, he's a great mover in space. He's like 6'3", 230. 
Um, and just so graceful. And that's not a word we use for linebackers a lot. That's a, that's an adjective for sometimes tight ends, wide receivers, quarterbacks moving in the pocket. Sometimes he is a very graceful dude. He glides around and almost lulls you to sleep because he has really long levers and he's covering a lot of ground, but he doesn't look like he's really exerting himself to do it Mm -hmm. until he opens it up. Right. He got a pick against Oregon and he started running in anger and it was breathtaking. It was like, holy cow, he's really fast, like legit, really fast. He's powerful. He'll, you know, when I say graceful, don't think ballerina, <laughs> think ballerina until he needs to be a bull and then he'll smack ball carriers in the hole. He will absolutely fill gaps in the run game. Um, very good pass rush ability off the edge. Again, not sort of pigeonholed by being an inside linebacker um there's multiple reps in his tape where he stands up does a little stutter dip goes around and he's so long his arms are extremely long and he knows how to use that length it's really his secret weapon um you know just reaches out and pulls the quarterback down gets himself a quarterback hit as he's letting go of the ball because he can just sort of bend around that tackle and then stretch those long arms out and grab the ankles and he is just a fascinating prospect because he is so versatile. He is so malleable. He plays well in the pass, makes plays on balls in the air, which is an absolute prerequisite for an every down linebacker in the NFL. Um, you know, in a loaded inside linebacker class, there are a lot of options in this inside linebacker class. He's, he's my alpha because there just isn't anything he can't do. I think you can make an argument for him, Nicobe Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, like some people are going to have Chanel ranked up there with them just because Mm -hmm. they really love size and their system fit and everything like that. Like this linebacker class in general is insane. We saw, you know, Deontay Lee put Chad Muma as LB1, which he's, I think the first person I've seen do that. Mm -hmm. Not that it's crazy because he's Muma's. No, it's not a huge (laughs) stretch. That's the thing is you can watch Muma's tape and go, yeah, I I see it. Yeah. I can see it. So it's, it's, I'm, one of the things I'm most fascinated by in this class is who is going to be the first linebacker off the board because they're all different uh-huh. and everybody's going to have their particular taste. And I think, you know, if your comp for Devin Lloyd is Darius Leonard, but better, which sounds crazy because Darius Leonard is an all pro, but Devin Lloyd has the same frame and is faster and twitchier than even and he's Darius a, Leonard is. And he's a better rusher and he plays the pass better. Like Darius Leonard is lights out against short pass and run. And that's why he has insane tackle numbers in Eberflus's defense, right? But Devin Lloyd is a hundred percent better against the pass than Darius Leonard right now. Which is it's utterly insane. Because again, this is not anti Darius Leonard. He is nope. an all pro. He's amazing. He's incredible. One of the best young linebackers in the entire NFL. Fast track for whatever accolades you you want to project for his career as a prospect Devin Lloyd is a better prospect than Darius Leonard was coming out and I don't really think that's debatable we'll see what he is in the pros but yeah as a prospect he's he's that dude by the way you might see my hey little my cat popping up for the for the people watching the video version of this but oh please do not knock over my camera The little chaos factor has oh, entered the God. chat. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, I do. Uh, I'll get to my number three. 
and hope that he doesn't unplug literally everything in the middle of the show. Uh, Cameron Thomas, the edge from uh, San Diego State. Yeah. Believe it or not, he has more pressures than every other edge in this class, at least in 2021. Like, you, you want to pull out Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Karloff, like all these guys. He was more productive than literally everybody else in this entire class. He is, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find the ways to describe him because he has a, a similar kind of frame to Trayvon Walker, you know, 6'5", listed at about 270, 275, somewhere around there. Again, weight fluctuated from week to week. But he moves quicker than I would say Trayvon Walker. He's not as heavy-handed as Walker, but I think he's even quicker than Walker. We'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to... I'm really interested to see his testing, but I'm, I'm a huge Cam Thomas fan. I, I think his cone is going to really surprise people because you see how he yeah. flattens, again, at 6'5", 275, and you're like, whoa, wow. that's, that's different. And when you combine that with length and power and like really refined hands, like he's always clearing his chest that's the thing is he doesn't get he doesn't get stuck you see some guys get stuck mm-hmm. um logan hall a kid from houston who i was watching mm-hmm. who's another guy again that same similar kind of size you know somewhere around the 6'4 to 6'6 range 270 to 285 range that same kind of player uh although logan hall might be even thicker than that might, might be closer to 290 at this point but like logan hall was getting stuck a lot Whereas Cam Thomas never, like, if somebody got into his chest, he was clearing it immediately. Like, whatever way he had to. Rips, spins, chops, whatever. He never got stuck. He always had a plan. He always had a backup. He's just a really, really smart rusher. And, and I, I really hope this makes sense. He wins in the ways that NFL guys win. Because mm-hmm. it's not just always about, you know, bursting off the edge like your Von Miller and you know throwing a ghost move like you gotta be creative you gotta be persistent you have to understand angles you have to understand the levels to a rush and how one guy's gonna flush you know quarterback into you um like there there's a lot that goes into rushing the passer and it's not to say that he gets cleanup sacks but it's more so he's really good at positioning himself within the structure of a rush to be the guy that's there. And it's a really hard skill set to describe, but like Max Crosby does it. Cameron Jordan does it. Uh, Daniil Hunter, especially compared to what he was coming out of college to what he is now. Being somebody that understands how a pass rush functions as a whole and how certain levels of a rush and how certain angles of a blitz concept affects a quarterback's movement and then just knowing how to put yourself within the structure of that rush to be the guy that's waiting for the quarterback. It's a really, really unique skill set that most guys his age don't have, but he has like, that's why he gets so many pressures because he's always just there. <laughs> he's always in the right spot. Um, he, he wins like NFL veterans and not to mention he's a really good athlete. So I think, I think he's going to be, uh, he's going to go a lot higher than people think. A lot higher. The NFL is very high on him, and Cam Thomas is the guy in this particular rush class that not enough people are talking about. Um, 
he very very rarely graces the the top five right it's Thibodeau Hutchinson yeah you know fill in the blank here Cam Thomas uh maybe because of where he played isn't in that conversation he's in that conversation for the league because of his size because of his speed because of his refinement because of the ways he wins and what you're trying to encapsulate about how that is people would look at his film and say oh he's just he's just lucky right he's just he's just lucky it's not luck it's refinement and understanding and he is i you said i don't know how to describe him at the top my way to describe him is busy and persistent he is always doing something and usually like you said he's doing the right thing right and the right thing is you'll see him lead a rush to the outside and as he's doing that he's got his eyes on the quarterback and he realizes oh my other end is winning He's winning deep, right? So I'm going to set up my guy deep. He's going to lean. He's going to put his weight on his back foot. And I'm going to push his shoulder. And I'm going to step right into where the quarterback's having to step up. Now it looks like, oh, the quarterback just stepped up and Cam Thomas was there. He was there because he saw the other end pushing. He led deep so the guy would move. He used his strength and his hands, like you said, to clear push and then he's right there and the quarterback's got nothing because there's a 285 pound guy going hello whack and he gets the sack and it's quick now is that a cleanup sack no it's not a cleanup sack because he earned it it's a high quality sack but if you watch enough of his tape i think a lot of people who are less experienced at looking at tape and understanding exactly that how the entire level of the defensive rush works will say oh man he just it's an outlier, right? He He's not going to get that many sacks at the next level. And he won't because the athletes are better, but it's not because he won't be in the right place or he's not working or he doesn't have another move in mind. And I love the plan. You mentioned plan. A lot of these rushers are great athletes. No plan. <laughs> like <laughs> I've watched a lot of guys in the last week have no plan as a rusher. And it's, it's really frustrating because it's like, wow, you have every tool in the book. You're fast, you're, you're strong, you're long, whatever. Cam Thomas does not suffer from a lack of a plan. Like I went from watching uh, Pascal to watching Thomas back to back, you know, the same kind of frame, body type, all that kind of stuff, role. And I expected Pascal to be the guy that I really came away wanting. And I, I honestly thought Cam Thomas was, was going to probably end up as, with a higher grade for me when all is said and done, when I, when I, you know, I get five or six games through everybody, when I kind of finalize a grade for him done three games for thomas uh i i think he's gonna end up as a higher graded player and i love pascal but that just goes to show how crazy this edge class is where like he might not even be one of the first five edges taken but he might also be one of the most productive edges taken yeah he's gonna surprise some people and i think his combine like you said is gonna surprise some people as well he's a he's a very good athlete it's not really just good size, athlete. not just power he is a very good athlete in a lot of ways um and that just adds up to many of the ways that he wins. You know who else is a really good athlete? <laughs> You're number three. Yeah, this guy This guy is not a guy that's topping a lot of lists right now. This is Tariq Woolen, quarterback, and he played at UTSA. That's right, University of Texas San Antonio. Um, he's not topping any lists right now, but two years from now, he damn well might be. Two days um, from now when he runs the 40. <laughs> well, he's going to move way up after the combine, largely yeah. because of his physical still, his physical skills. So let's start there. 
almost 6'4", fully 210 pounds and long arms. And for those uh, fans of teams out there that like cornerbacks with length, this guy qualifies. Um, blazing speed. He's going to run in the four threes at the combine. Like pretty much guaranteed unless he slips or pulls something. He's going to be solidly in the four threes, possibly as low as like four three four. I can see that. Yeah. Six, three and a half, two ten, four three four long arms. Like right there, height, weight, speed. I don't care if he can play a lick, he's going to get drafted really high. But he can play a lick. Physical player. Loves to jam, loves to hit. Um, not something you see from taller corners all the time. We see lots of taller corners that avoid contact. Mm-mm. Nope. He is a menace on the corner blitz because he's so damn fast. And if you think, oh, it's the corner, you don't pick him up with somebody with reasonable size. He's there in a flash because he is so fast. And again, he loves to just unload on the quarterback so he can cause fumbles, all that good stuff. He's productive. He makes plays on the ball. He has a good understanding of where to put his hands. He's not great at locating the ball yet. We'll talk about that, but he's got easy speed to carry down the field, and he makes plays at the catch point. He gets his hand through the catch pocket, um, makes plays across the middle on one cross, like knocking the ball away again with that long length reaching around the front. Um, Pretty veteran stuff in terms of cornerback play, but he's not a veteran. That's the best point is he just moved to cornerback at the beginning of his junior year. He was recruited and started off his first couple of years as a wide receiver. So he brings that understanding about passing routes, concepts, leverage from being a wide receiver to being a cornerback. He's still learning. And that's scary as hell because his frame is ridiculous for the position. He's already productive with even as few reps as he's had as a cornerback. And he's just going to get better. So again, yeah, he's going to get drafted really highly because of height, weight, speed. But don't don't think that's all he is. He's going to continue to get better. And a couple of years from now, he could be one of the top five corners in the league. Like he has that kind of potential. Just with the frame, you know, 6'3", 6'4", 210 speed. At minimum, I would draft him because somebody's got to cover Kyle Pitts. Somebody's got to cover, you know, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, even though he's long in the tooth these days, but there's a million freaking tight ends coming out in this class. Somebody's got to cover him. I'm not putting a 5'10 corner or a 5'10 safety with, with how some of these safeties are small these days. Like, you need a big, like, let's just throw out the corner safety label. Big DB to cover these guys. And if he just makes his living covering tight ends, It'll be worth the pick because there's too many good tight ends these days. And and linebackers are too slow and safeties and corners generally are too small. He's a unique guy. And you need unique guys to cover unique guys. I'll just say that. So he's very, he's very intriguing. Super flexible because he can cover anybody you want. Now, people say, oh, well, he doesn't run 4-3 on the field. That's true because his brain isn't there yet, right? When his brain catches up with playing corner, his body will allow him to run that on the field. Right now on the field, I'd say he runs high four fours. That's fine. That covers 80% of the wide receivers, even the fast ones, in the NFL. And that's as deep as you want to go. He's not going to lose a step. This is a guy that ran mid-10s in the 100. Like He's got long speed for days. Now, 
he doesn't trigger quite as quickly as some other corners who maybe don't have more speed. But the other thing is on top of that, the length gives him an mm-hmm. extra couple yards because he's tall. And when he sticks that really long arm up, you got to throw it over him and down the field. That's tough to do. So he's got everything he needs to be a very successful corner. He already plays well and he's physical. So, you know, that's my hook with corners is they got a hit and he loves it. Like he's into it. This is not a track guy. This is a guy that loves to play football. This week's show is also brought to you by Purple Mattress. I'm sure you've seen Purple on TV before or even on YouTube or Instagram because they're famous for their patented GelFlex grid system, which is a super stretchy, ultra squishy material that adapts and flexes around the pressure points of your body, but without retaining any excess heat. The grid is amazingly supportive for your back and legs, but it also cushions your shoulders, neck, and hips so that no matter how you sleep, you don't wake up stiff and in pain every single morning. And unlike memory foam, the GelFlex grid in every purple mattress bounces back as you move and shift so that you never get that kind of stuck feeling that you sometimes have in a foam bed. You can try any purple mattress risk-free with free shipping and free returns, plus financing is available as well. So if you want to try it out for yourself and see what the grid can do for your night's sleep, head on over to purple.com bootleg10, use promo code bootleg10, and you can get 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com slash bootleg10, promo code bootleg10, for 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Thank you again to Purple for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. I brought up small safeties, and my number four happens to be a smaller safety. (laughs) Much smaller (laughs) than Tariq Willen, at least. But I I think Jalen Petre from Baylor, every year, there's, there's one of these guys where in your heart of hearts, you know that they're probably going to end up as one of the 32 best players in the class once they get on the field. Antoine Winfield, you know, Jesse Bates, Buda Baker, like every year there's a safety that goes second round that you think if he played anything other than safety, he'd probably go in the first round because he's a really good football player, but, you know, positional importance, blah, 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 whatever you want to say. Jalen Petre is that guy this year. Like, he is so damn good, and he played in that Aranda system at Baylor where safeties have to do, uh, I don't know, everything. Everything. (laughs) Playing the post, playing the run, you know, playing man coverage in the slot. Like, he had to do everything. You know, there's no plays off in that system for safeties. You know, it's it's uh, it's not that dissimilar to the conversation we had with uh, the TCU safeties last year, Merrigan or, and Washington. Yeah, where there's no plays off, and they do different things, but there's no plays off, and same thing. But Petre, I think Petre is better than our Darius, and we loved our Darius. Merrig, you could argue, but we also had astronomical grades on Merrig. So if Petre is even in that realm, you know, we're talking about a first round talent. And Merrick was one of the better safeties, more underrated safeties, I'll say, in the entire league as a rookie this year. So Petre is that guy. I know he's not the biggest dude in the world, but neither was Buddha, neither was Winfield. I mean, Eddie Jackson, when he was coming out, was a twig, <laughs> but he was really good, uh, you know, before the league figured out he couldn't tackle. Um, like, I, I just, I see that same trajectory where I know he's not going to go in the first round. But... If you're doing these redrafts in three years, <laughs> he will because he's that good. 
Yeah, and the way they'll use them doesn't have a lot to do with safety anymore. It's much more what you alluded to earlier, which is defensive back. And I've already seen people talking about Petra as a, as a slot, like as an everything slot, as a Tyrion Matthew, as a Buddha, as a, you know, those guys aren't safeties. Like, yeah, kind of, but they're like safety corner hybrid defenders. Dime, nickel. Right. Bleh. People call them star, <laughs> right? In some systems, it's star. The, the Rams have started to use star. Uh, Saban is, you know, it's a Saban term, star. It's the guy that does what needs to be done in the back half of the defense. And Petra is a guy that is, if he goes to a system like that, that assigns him those roles, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be one of those safeties that we talk about um, really quickly, um, you know, because he's going to be making a bunch of plays. Oh, like, shit. I forgot one. Javon Holland, same fucking dude. Yeah, same um, guy. You know, <laughs> he could have played corner, could you know, played some corner, played some safety, played some slot at Oregon, yeah. like played boundary corner, played slot, played safety. Um, went to Miami, just tears it up. Is a menace around the line of scrimmage because he's fast. Again, he likes to hit. Um, yeah, it you know, Petra's gonna be in that class of player that does a little bit of everything, and it's not gonna be too much for him. Everybody talks about, oh, well, you come to the NFL and your responsibilities are gonna, you know, explode. You're gonna have all kinds of stuff to do that you didn't do in college, and he's kind of gonna look at him and be like, I played for Dave Miranda. Like I, <laughs> I've I've supported the run from depth. I've been deep third. I've been you know, too high playing to the boundary, playing to the edge. Like I've played the slot tight. Like what is it that you think you're going to have me do like mixed drinks in the middle of the field? Maybe I don't know. I went to <laughs> Baylor. I kind of probably yeah. handle it. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think Petra is going to, going to be one of those guys who's incredibly useful, earns a role really quickly, um, ends up making a bunch of plays because people always like to challenge, uh, especially NFL OCs. They like to challenge those players, and it is difficult. Like that's an especially difficult role, nickel or star, whatever you want to call it. It's a two way go on every play, so there's lots to lots to throw at players like that. But I think Petra's learning curve is going to be a little bit less uh, than a lot of other, you know, quote unquote pure safeties. Um, so I think he'll roll with it pretty quickly. And look, we know from his physical skills, he'll be making plays on the ball. He'll be making big hits in the run game. He's a tough guy. Um, has nothing to do with his size. He knows how to throw his weight around. Yeah, I, thumbs up for, for Jalen Petrie. All right, for your number four, this is a, a classic EJ special. Yeah. Pulling out a small school kid that I have not watched yet. Yep. Because that is your, your favorite thing to do of – Hey, if you you know Northeastern Appalachian A and T, this right. punter, have you watched? Um, no, well, no. EJ has. So, who's your number four? Introduce the folks. Uh, my number four is Marquise Bell, safety from Florida A and M. And HBCU players have largely been overlooked for a long time in the draft process. Um, it's not that they haven't been drafted, um, but they haven't been given their fair due, and that's just wrong. And you know, Deacon Jones, Richard Dent. Michael Strahan, Harry Carson, Mel Blount, Aeneas uh, Williams, all defensive Hall of Famers all came from HBCUs. And that doesn't even touch the offensive side. That doesn't touch the Walter Paytons and the Jerry Rices and the Shannon Sharps. And the list goes on. Charlie Joyner. Like, there's a lot of talent that plays football at HBCUs. And the good news is a lot of great progress has been made on that front in the past couple of years. There's an HBCU combine right before the Senior Bowl. Um, HBCU Hall of Famers were 
recognized the Super Bowl. Like, there's a lot of great progress. Dion has brought a ton of light um, to HBCU football. Uh, picked a top recruit up in the recruiting cycle this year, which is kind of a first. Not something HBCUs have typically been able to do. Pull a very coveted recruit away from much larger programs. So things are changing. But I wanted to highlight an HBCU player. And it was tough. Not because I couldn't find one, but because there's tons who are really talented. Like there's, it came down to like four or five guys. And I was like, man, any one of these guys would be awesome. But I picked Marquise Bell, um, a safety. And he gives me really strong Cam Chancellor vibes. Like he's built similarly. He's not as big as Cam, um, but he plays the same way. He is 6'3", 205. So this is not a small guy, a little bit more slight than Cam. Um, brings it on contact um plays bigger than his size for sure and really agile at his size too again we tend to see defensive backs with longer levers uh be a little bit slow be a little bit clunky um especially if they're playing corner this guy is able to snake around blockers get low upend people um there's a great clip um one of his highlights where he gets under a running back who's about 5'10 he literally squats down and gets lower and puts his shoulder right on the ball, forces a fumble. Um, and the, you know, the running back's about 5'10", and he lowered his head coming through the line. And Bell met him and got lower than him, forced a fumble with a shoulder pad on the ball. So really flexible. Um, fits a great niche in the current NFL that you you talk about it, the tight end eraser, right? You need a big physical guy that can run. Um, he can do it. He's a dimebacker. You know, that's a popular thing. Extra force player versus the run. He can absolutely play by the line because he loves contact. He understands how to make himself skinny, slip through blocks. Um, He's great at slipping the lead blockers on bubble screens. Like he sees it, gets up, turns sideways, gets through, and then just blasts the running back because he carries good speed. Um, With the popularity of two high coverages, which we're seeing all the time, and needing those players who can crash the run from depth, right? That is his happy place. That is where he is a number one, the best. That is his game. So he will find work with that alone, but he can do lots of other things for you. Um, Really tough to defend when he comes on the blitz. And again, you can call it whatever you want, but when you sneak him up in the slot and he decides not to cover and just unloads on your quarterback, he gets there in a hurry um and has a knack for dislodging the football this is the old peanut punch thing and like i said there's that clip where he does it with his shoulder pad there's another clip where he comes in the quarterback is literally diving and he reaches underneath him and just pokes it out before anything hits the ground doesn't look like a fumble it's like oh his knee was down and they go back and look no he was in the air and he reached underneath him again really flexible at 6-3 gets low and just pops the ball out so just a player who's going to be really productive i've seen him ranked probably in about the 280s which is not the draftable range in terms of there's not 280 picks in a draft um if that happens (laughs) he should be a priority free agent if he does not get drafted i think he should get drafted based on everything that i just said um but if he doesn't get drafted he should be at the top of priority free agent list because this is a productive guy that's going to fit in a lot of roles i mean we saw divine diablo go to the raiders and when he was healthy and got in now he's a linebacker (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you know, I could see Marquise Bell playing a very similar role because look, we have linebackers that play we know it, 210, 212, 215, 218. He's 205 right now. 
And, you know, he's not done filling out yet. He could absolutely end up in a very similar role to Divine Diablo because he loves to track the run, understands angles. Um, just a great, fun player. I sometimes think that you like to start with with the guys that are ranked in the 250s and below so that when I text you in the last week of March when I finally get to them, you can you could be like, see, I fucking told you. Uh, sometimes. A beast. It's, uh, it's funny. I collect. People ask me how I make my list and when I start. And I, I take about three weeks off after the draft. Uh, I just don't do anything because I, you know, you know how it is. You're looking at Twitter every day. You're watching players every day. You're writing reports every day for a long time. And it's good to take a break, just like we took a break after the Super Bowl. But within about a month every year, and this is the mid dead doldrums of summer, right? I start my list for, for 2023. I will start my list like three and a half weeks after the draft. I just put it up there and I just start filling it in and I fill it in from all kinds of sources. I fill it, fill it in from preseason all American lists. I fill it in from other draft analysts who say, Hey, I saw this guy. I go back to my 2022 stuff and I, Oh, there's this guy I saw, but he wasn't eligible. And I add him to my list. And I just do that for months and I don't watch a lot of tape through the summer. I definitely don't watch a lot of tape through the fall because we're doing the show every week doing NFL stuff. And I just keep filling in the names. And this year I got up to, I, I kind of, I didn't cap it, but when I finally, I transitioned to a new database because I had too many names and I needed to, I needed to be able to sort them better. There's 278 names in there, which is pretty much a full draft. That's about a full draft worth of players. Now there's still the players that I'll, you know, watch a highlight of or look at when somebody asked me to. Um, but they come from all over. And with the increased visibility of the HBCU stuff, the HBCU combine and just more people talking about them in general, I have a lot more HBCU players on there. And I just added a couple more this week from the HBCU bowl game that Patrick Mahomes was down at. And the guys that were the all-stars of that week voted by their teammates in practice were a couple of D, you know, one DB and, and one quarterback. And, and the DBs like six, three, 210 and he's a corner and i was like uh okay like yeah i've never heard of him but i'm adding him to my list so yeah i you know i get names from all over all different analysts all different lists and uh some of them turn out to be to be real hits and some of them are just fun guys that uh you see ending up in the 22nd round of the usfl draft yesterday so by the way if you if you want a better source than me or EJ on HBCU prospects, because as you said, there's a lot of them. Uh, Jordan Reed is probably the best in the business, I would say, in terms of identifying really good HBCU talent for the NFL. Works for ESPN, you know, draft extraordinaire. I think he's their number two or number three draft analyst on ESPN now. Yeah, moving up in the world. Now he's, he's he's big time now, and uh, we got to see Jordan down at Las Vegas, and it was it was great to hang out, watch practice with him. Nice really really nice guy i know people say that all the time oh he's a nice guy in the business like jordan's legit one of the nicest guys in the business um no ego whatsoever and and great because he coached uh at that level and understands the game the other guy is another guy that we saw in vegas who we've both followed his work for years which is emory hunt mm -hmm. football game plan on twitter is has been in the hbcu coverage game for longer than anybody and and does it just as well um, so yeah, great sources out there, but some tremendous talent in those leagues. And I'm glad that it's getting some light shown on it, more light shown on it than it has in the past. Cause there's some really deserving players. Uh, my fifth 
and final guy for our, our third, yes, third annual 10 defensive gems list is probably not going to be a surprise for anybody that's been following me on Twitter for roughly the last, <laughs> oh, I don't know, four months. Uh, Devonta Wyatt from Georgia. I know we've already mentioned him when we were doing our senior bowl coverage, but I, I can't leave him off this list because he is, at least in this class, if you're looking for a penetrating three technique, he's the dude. If you're looking for an interior pass rusher that has unbelievable quickness for his weight, like he's playing at, I think, like 310, 312. Mm-hmm. And he does not move like somebody who's 310, 312. He looks like somebody who's playing a 295. Um, just unbelievable quickness. Really good against the run as well. Like, he's not just one of these, like, you know, light in the pants, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three techniques. Like, a, like you remember when Taven Bryan was coming out where he could do one thing and one thing only, and that was go <laughs> forward. Like, no, Devontae Wyatt can shock and shed with the best of them. You want him to play five, he can play five. You want him to play four eye, three, two, dare I say a couple snaps is a shade if you want to get real crazy, uh, you can do that. Like He is exceptionally strong in addition to being exceptionally quick, really refined, You know, was beating up everybody at the Senior Bowl, You know, has the pedigree of, of playing in a system that is not easy <laughs> to play in. Like Kirby Smart's defense is not just... Uh, you know, what's what's the old phrase at Alabama? They don't teach run fits. They recruit them. Georgia, they <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it from a technique standpoint, a read standpoint. It's it's not just we're bigger and stronger than you. I know it looks like that, but it's it's not that. There's a lot of subtlety to it. And so he's he's a very refined interior defensive lineman to go with the fact that he's also just a really good athlete. Um, I'd be curious to see how he's going to test relative to some of the other freaky three techniques that have come out recently because there's been no shortage of them. Obviously, everybody compares everybody to Aaron Donald. I don't expect that kind of day for him, but I still think he's going to be a a well above average tester compared to other guys that play that kind of role. And uh, it's tough to say who's going to be the first defensive tackle because they're all so different. But among three techniques, I think he's going to be the first off the board. Yeah, it's... You know, I think it's going to be a good fight. Um, Perrion Winfrey had a really good Senior Bowl week. He's going to be in that conversation. Um, uh, you know, but Wyatt, I think because of not only pedigree but versatility, uh, and he's going to test really well. There, there's just no way. Like everybody on that Georgia defense is going to test so well. We talked about Nicobe Dean. We haven't talked about the other linebackers. They're going to test really well. Channing Tindall and Jordan Davis. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Davis is uh, in his own category. You mentioned this in the pre-show, by the way. The best one isn't even coming out this year. Yeah, that's the crazy <laughs> thing about Georgia's defense being so loaded. Is Like, you watch Georgia's defense, and I've, I've spent a lot of time lately watching Georgia's defense because I watched all three linebackers, um, plus I watched Walker for this. Um, you know, you, you see some Devontae Wyatt and as you're doing all that, you're watching all these crazy, crazy athletes fly around. There's just the team speed is off the charts at Georgia. I think that's not a big secret after they won the national championship and you start looking and you're, you're kind of going down the roster. There's just so many numbers to keep track of. You're like, ah, and pretty soon you're like, who's, who's 88. <laughs> Hey, it's a dude like he's in between all these other dudes who are 
phenomenal any other school they would be the guy you were talking about like have you seen that guy at kentucky at tennis like if they were any other school they would be the star of the defense any one of these guys we're talking about would be the star but the only reason they're not at georgia is because they're surrounded by guys just like them and then there's this other guy 88 you're like oh that's jalen you're like, who's Jalen? <laughs> like, he's not even eligible. <laughs> the fucking talk to, angel of death. That's who. <laughs> and you talk to coaches, and they're like, no, no, 88's the dude. Like, I, you're like Jordan Davis, yeah, Devontae Wyatt, yeah, and Trayvon Walker, yeah. And they're like, it's Jalen. Like, Jalen's the best athlete on that defensive line, and that's a crazy thing to say. But he'll he'll be fun next year. Um, so just just a loaded loaded defense. Tons of fun to watch. Uh, great scheme, but also. Kirby would be the first one to tell you, like, hey, the scheme's great, but we got we got dudes. Like, we got dudes on dudes. Like, they're they're just we just keep stacking them up, and they're all amazing, and and they all are. Yeah. So I I don't know how high he's gonna go, but my guess is is within the first thirty two. I I can't imagine he's he's second round. Um, another another one who's well. I mean, probably first 32, right? Considering positional importance and it's how gonna he's going to test. It's going to be really interesting. I wouldn't put money on that for this guy. Would I be surprised in any way if he went in the first 32? I would not. And this is Arnold Abicady, uh, the edge from Penn State. And uh, I'm kind of done <laughs> betting against athletic edge rushers from Penn State <laughs> because they crank them out on the regular. And just last year we had, you know, Odafeo, uh, Owe and, and Micah Parsons, both guys that had played edge at Penn state tested ridiculously well. Um, and Abicady's not any different. Um, teammates call him AK and he is a weapon versus the pass and versus the run. I really appreciate edges with versatility because look, if you can rush a pass or sacks are great, but if that's all you can do, uh, you know, your chances to play are going to be more limited in just about any system. Not something he suffers from. He can set the edge, does very well. Um, but he really has the two main qualities out of an edge player that you're looking for. And that's great measurables, especially explosion. Like, all the great edge rushers tested really well. Like, it's a common theme. You don't see guys that have an RAS of 3.82 that are great pass rushers. It just doesn't happen. Um, he's going to test really well. Not surprising. Comes from Penn State. Has a lot of speed. And he's got bend he mm -hmm. can bend better than a lot of the edges in this class many edges in this class and you don't let's be clear you don't have to bend to win there are a lot of ways we talked about cam thomas earlier like he wins lots of different ways i wouldn't consider him like overly bendy he's a really good athlete he's really strong got a great frame but i wouldn't consider him like overly bendy abicady can bend the edge he's got speed and he can bend and look Penn State is just a mutant factory. Uh, they turn out <laughs> like great, great world-class athletes after world-class athletes. Um, so I expect him to test really well. Uh, the swipe rip on the outside rush is his money move combo. And he uses it like you'll see lots of highlights um, of him using that combo to make money. But it's not all he can do. He also wins other ways, which is really necessary as a pass rusher because I don't care what your trick is. If you only have one trick, I don't care how good it is. In the NFL, they're going to find out a way to shut it down and fast because they've seen it before. You got to have counters. You got to have other moves. And one of the things I love about Abikati is the quality of his sacks. 
We talked about this earlier with Cam. Very few of them are cleanup sacks. He initiates most of them, and he initiates most of them solo. It's not off a loop. Now, he is hell on an inside stunt. <laughs> if three crashes down and leaves him a it's gap, so he damn is strong. Yeah. through it and on the quarterback. He is super efficient. No wasted steps. As soon as he is clear with that swipe rip, he is flattening and he takes three steps and he buries his helmet in the quarterback's back. Like he is not messing around once he gets an opening, no wasted motion. Um, but a lot of his sacks are against lineman factories like Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa. These aren't cupcakes, right? He's not taking on Sam Houston state and getting five sacks. And then through the rest of the big 10 schedule, like picking up one or two. No, you see really good play against Michigan. You see sacks against Iowa, uh, force fumbles against Wisconsin uh, that got called back because of arm motion, but it was a force fumble. Yeah, I I remember that one. It was uh-huh. he can convert speed to power. This is this is a concept that's kind of two hundred one for a lot of folks studying the draft. They oh he's a fast guy, oh he's strong. Speed to power, right? When he gets moving, can he keep the guy in front of him moving? And he can do it. Um, does it pretty regularly and again with that efficiency with that speed with his flattening to the quarterback and not wasting any motion he hits hard enough that a lot of balls come loose from the quarterback like he will force fumbles he will cause chaos in the backfield um once he learns the outside strip that most of the NFL pass rushers are relying on now because they know they can't plow into the quarterback like he does, um, and they get that little bend around the outside to swat as the ball's going back to dislodge it, if he adds that move, if his rush coach gets him swinging, he's going to force a ton of fumbles because he's there faster than the quarterback thinks. Even if the quarterback understands backside pressure even if they have that really good sixth sense sort of preternatural feel for that, they're going to think they have an extra half a tick. And if he gets that swipe where he bends his arm and, and it's going to be lethal. So, and he plays special teams. I swear this guy can fly. <laughs> he blocks kicks. Uh, the clip we're going to put in is the one against Wisconsin and they break it down to figure out who blocked the kick. And he comes flying into the frame he is well off the ground at a 45 degree angle he gets his hand on the kicks not the only kick he blocked uh, he blocked another one with his face mask because he can jump that high yeah no i swear he can fly just tools 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 might not go in the first round not the biggest name uh he's gonna test extremely well i think people will like his tape i think the league is probably higher on him but you know if it comes down to a guy like abe katie or a guy like cam thomas like cam thomas had a lot more production i think a lot of teams might feel safer um from the but edge you know position. what's interesting about that they're because cam thomas had a lot more snaps their pressures per snap their rate they're they're basically the same yes Abe Katie is wildly efficient in many ways, and he does a lot with the snaps he gets, but he didn't get near as many snaps uh, because, again, Penn State was rotating guys in. Cam Thomas was kind of anchoring that he was the best player on his team. So, uh, well, besides the punter. But <laughs> hey, they got a defensive tackle who went back, by the way. Yeah. Who had a shit ton of pressures, too. Yeah. And his are a whole different type, but no, yeah, ABK, yeah. I could see him slipping out of the first round. If he does, it'll be a tremendous value. This is a guy with upside who is going to probably be a better pro than he was in college. Cause he's going to continue to develop as 
uh, as much as he has a variety of moves and wins in different ways, he's not done yet. Like, like I said, if he adds that back swipe for when a guy starts to throw a pass, he doesn't really have that yet. He can add stuff like that fairly easily. And his physical tools are, I don't want to say they're untapped, uh, but he can just build off that foundation. He's going to be really, really fun to watch. In terms of frame tools and also just as importantly, what he was in college versus what he will be in the pros, I could not get my mind off Justin Houston. I think they are very, very similar. I don't disagree. That's a pretty good comp in terms of wild athleticism that got channeled and just kind of kept getting better. We talk about progression not being linear. Well, Justin Houston for a long time, he just kept doing more stuff. He started doing a lot of stuff and just kept adding. I could see Abikati starting a little bit lower than that, but having a very similar curve, which is continued progression. And, you know, by like year two or three, people are talking about going, man, he's had he's had 24 sacks in the last two years. Like, yeah, damn. And the thing with Houston, because Abikati is what, 6'2", 250? About. Somewhere around there. Like Houston wasn't the tallest guy. Either. No. I think he was like 6'3". But again, Not at all. he was really thick, heavy hands, um, you know, he would get under tackles really easily because he again, it wasn't the tallest guy, but he still had length. Yeah. And AK is the same guy. Like, sh- short guys with length are literally the hardest ones to block because they don't give you a large surface area for a tackle to, to get into, but they're just as long as those tackles because Houston, again, had in terms of, like, arm length versus what their height is, like, his arms were, like, two inches longer than they should have been. Same reason why Darius Leonard, who we talked about earlier, is like an elite linebacker. He's got 34 and a half inch arms. As a 215 pound linebacker, he's got the same length as like JJ Watch and even Clowney. You know, so it, the length advantage, while also being able to get under people, it, it is literally the hardest archetype for an offensive lineman to block. And when you add in the fact that he's explosive, he's powerful, you know, he, he's got multiple moves, he doesn't get stuck easily. I think it would be dumb for him to slip out of the first round because so much data from the past points to him being worth a first round pick. Yeah. And he does everything at full speed. Like you just, like you said, not being stuck, but like when he does reversals, when he does, you know, drive the tackle deep and then cuts back to get a quarterback stepping up into the pocket, it's, the transition yeah. from I'm going deep to I'm getting your quarterback is like, you see so many tackles just like, what you, you, you were just here and now you're burying my quarterback. Like, and you see one of my favorite things about his tape is how despondent the tackles are. <laughs> like they, as soon as it happens, as soon as he is by them, right. As soon as he, as soon as they know he is by them, they literally start that walk of shame back to go pick up the quarterback. They're like, dude. And they walk over, put their hand down. They're like, man, I'm so sorry. He was, I, I had him. He, I thought I had him like the Maryland tackle did that to Tunga Vailoa. Like he was just like, Oh man, I just got my guy blasted. Like, Oh and they all did the Michigan guys walk over. They're like, nah, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like, he's a handful. What am, <laughs> what am I going to say? Yeah, he's a ton of fun to watch. 
Yeah, uh, another one of these guys. I feel like I'm just going to every single defensive prospect we talk about, I'm going to say, God, I hope they go to Baltimore because it's one of the few teams that I trust them to use him properly. Not that they need him, but I just think he would be so productive there. He's so their style. Like, it's not even funny. You know where but, I'd love to see him go just because of the transition? Where? Seattle. Ooh. Because Clint Hurt is the new defensive co- uh, new defensive yeah. coordinator. Yeah. And guess who the assistant head coach for defense is? Who? Sean Desai. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot. they Because they're trying to make everybody kind of work together there. So they had to do yeah. some weird, funky things with job yeah, titles. So they, they have the Bears double dip. Clint Hurt was a Bears defensive line coach. And, and Sean Desai was last year's Bears defensive coordinator. But he's been with the Bears for like six years. So they both moved to the Seahawks. Clint Hurt takes over for Ken Norton Jr. And he is very good he was a linebackers coach um in chicago and then moved to the defensive line so he fully understands pass rush and desai manufactured a ton of pass rush with just a healthy robert quinn last year for the most part because akeem hicks was in and out khalil mack missed most of the year with an injury and still the bears had a shit ton of sacks and you give those guys a weapon like abe katie and you're on your way to a, a much better pressure rate in Seattle. So it'd be it'd be a lot of fun. Not to mention Daryl Taylor's coming on pretty well. Oh, Daryl Taylor's going to take a jump under Clint Hurt. Yeah. And I think they still got Puna, right? Yeah. Puna's still there. Like, that's... They got some dudes. Yeah. I'd, I'd like that. That'd be fun. Yeah, they're going to see some... I, I'm I'm excited for Hawks fans with that combination running the defense because I was not a Ken Norton Jr. fan. Uh, he just didn't adapt quickly enough for my taste. And those guys are going to push it. And you're going to see a style of defense that I think you kind of haven't seen in Seattle for a while. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So that'll do it, I think, for our uh, 10 Gems defensive edition for the 2022 draft. We have the offensive edition uh, coming up quick. Um, dibs on Watson. I'll just say that. North Dakota State wide receiver. I love them. Man, that's going to be a blood feud. (laughs) Are we going to have our first joint gem in podcast history? I don't know. We might. We might. But we both have to give one up. It'd kind of like be taking a tie. And I don't don't think either one of us want to do that. I think we both want Watson and we both want Calvin Austin. Um, I might might give you Calvin. I like Calvin a lot. But Watson, like, I might fight you for Watson. We'll see. He's so fucking good. He's really, really good. And wait till he goes to the combine. I'm seeing him... I've seen him as low as like the sixth and it's largely because he played at North Dakota state, but like I've seen him down the sixth and the fifth and even like third. And, and I had somebody come back to me who works in the league and said, he's not a third rounder, is he? And I was like, he's not going to be after the combine. <laughs> no like, I could legitimately see him going in the first round. A lot of people are like what? And I'm like, just you wait, like, have you seen him and wait till he runs? But if he slips out of the second, I, it'll be a crime. And right now he's, you know, if you look at his average draft position in mock drafts, where he is on most analyst boards, like he's middle of the third round or lower. And I'm like, I just don't. It's it's the North Dakota State thing because they played like one game, you yeah, know, a year ago. And then nobody. Well, don't scout the helmet. He we, is amazing. We have we'll, North we'll Dakota State it. tape. Most people don't. Yeah. So uh, maybe that's part of it, but. I think once people get it and once people get a hold of that tape and they're able to like see it, 
they'll be like, oh shit, that guy's pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not a third rounder, like yeah. not in this class. So yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. But uh, these are great. We hope you enjoyed them. Um, check out the rest of the draft videos that are coming out. Make sure to go subscribe to the Bootleg Football Clips channel because that's where our interviews are going up. Um, but yeah, we'll have draft content for you, obviously on Twitter the main bootleg channel, the clips channel. Uh, we'll have some fun interactive live streams for you as we, we know you need to blow off steam and draft season, get those takes out. One of these um, days I'll get EJ to start a TikTok. Oh man. I, uh, yeah, I heard the phrase TikTok dominator today and I was like, Hmm, has a nice <laughs> ring to it, but I don't, I don't know that I'll be that. I'm, I'm posting some, a lot of crappy video from late at night when I'm just sort of iphone in my screen looking at prospects so if you want to you want to get sort of inside the scouting process follow me on twitter for sure um but yeah we're gonna have lots and lots and lots of content we're just getting started thank you to our hall of fame again our executive producers marat consti and fitz you guys are heroes uh we'll be back very soon with the offensive 10 gems special and until then everybody stay safe enjoy time with your family and friends now that the off season is upon us And uh, we'll see you very soon. Cheers. Take care.